love, uh, I love when you put a video camera up and an open mic with kids, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be good. Um, so thankful for, uh, those kids being a part of that and, uh, even just hearing their gratitude and, and, uh, this is, this is a time really where we, I think kind of, even as a people, as even as a country, this is kind of like a season where it kind of turns toward thanks and, and this should absolutely mark our lives every single day. And, uh, and so uh, even as we've been walking through Colossians, uh, walking through that letter together, over and over again, five times in that short letter of Colossians, Paul says to be thankful, talks about giving thanks, like all through the letter. And, and so he's encouraging this young church. And, and what's amazing to me is that he is encouraging them to be thankful and to give thanks all the while he's writing the letter from a prison cell. It just changes things when you realize that really joy, gratitude, thankfulness, that it's not this thing that's connected to circumstance, but it runs way deeper than that. And so as a believer, we're going to learn a few lessons today, just really challenging about just this whole idea of, so how do we live thankfully? For Paul, it was more than thanksgiving. It was about thanks living, that this was a mark of his life. So, so how do we walk through our lives in just this life of thankfulness and gratitude. And we're going to do that by being challenged by uh, a man who suffered from a disease. We don't know how long, but we do know this, that there was a day that came where his life was radically transformed forever. And, and there was a group of people. So, so, so if you've ever traveled in groups, this guy was in a group. He was in a group. And out of this group, there was one. There was one that stopped and turned and gave thanks. And the challenge for us, I believe, is would we be the one? Are, are we, would we be willing to be the one when nobody else will? And what we see in this passage is this incredible testimony of a guy whose life was changed forever. Uh, so in Luke chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, we're going to walk through that text that I read just a few moments ago. But the encouragement is being the one. Would you be willing to be the one when nobody else will? Will you be the one? Verse 11 of, of Luke chapter 17 the Bible says this, that on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. This is Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This week, you are going to find yourself on the way all kinds of places. Uh, students will not find themselves on the way to school this week, so that, that's, a, that's a win, right? But, but you'll find yourself on the way maybe to a job, on the way to a friend's house. You'll find yourself on the way to the grocery store to get cranberry sauce for Thanksgiving. And, and just quick question, how did cranberry sauce make it on the list for Thanksgiving? I, 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 any cranberry sauce fans? And I'm outnumbered, so I'm not going to say anything about that right now. But, but, but anyway, you'll find yourself on the way going to all these different places. And, and maybe on the road to wherever. Here's the thing. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem for what will be the final trip before the cross. That he's been there multiple occasions, different feasts, different festivals, but this time's different. He's on his way to Jerusalem, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and of earth. He has clothed himself in flesh, 
lived among us, and he's going to Jerusalem to lay his life down. In just a few days from when we're reading this text, he will enter into Jerusalem to the, the, the shouts and praise of a multitude of people. The, the, the triumphal entry, as we, we call it. He's on his way, and at the beginning of the week, everybody is just exuberant. They're shouting praise, Hosanna. They're going wild, and by the end of the week, Christ is being crucified on a cursed tree for the sins of the world. He is on his way. Jesus Christ was born to die. He's on a mission and he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. The Bible said, and as he entered a village, so he's in a village and he's near Samaria. Now this is a major uh, context for us here because Because Jews don't go through Samaria. Jews go around Samaria. Jews hate Samaritans. They are seen as lesser people. They're seen as half-breeds. They're seen as people who, who uh, who who are to be alienated, isolated. There's no worth through Samaria. But yet Christ, I love this, Christ goes right through. He goes right through through Samaria and the Bible says he was met by 10 lepers and they stood at a distance so 10 lepers standing at a distance the law actually required that they could not be within six feet of a healthy person and on a windy day if the wind was at their backs they would have to be no closer than 150 feet away from another person I just kind of kind of try to place myself in in that in that in the shoes of one of these men that when they, they, they're living isolated lives, they are outcasts, they have been rejected. Leprosy, as we'll see, as it comes like it's only second to a dead body when it comes to defilement. These people are rejected. They're kicked out of the camp, outside of the gate. This is where they live their lives. This is where they live their lives. They are rejected in every sense of the word. And so they're, they're forbidden, they're rejected. And so here they are, even imagine that day waking up and even on a windy day, on a windy day, they're dejected, they're, they, are, they are struggling as it is. And even on a windy day, they're like, I can't even go anywhere. Can't even go outside. Can't get near anybody because of this disease that they have. A guy named Alfred Erdman wrote a book, Life and Times of Jesus. He tells a story of how rabbis would refuse to even eat eggs that were bought on a street that a leper may have walked down. They were considered ceremonially unclean, removed from community, kicked out, living in isolation, outcast. And so they're living these lives. And not only that, but if a leper were to enter in a house or room of any sort, it would be considered unclean. Even the house, even the entrance would defile that habitation and everything in it from the floor to the beams of the ceiling if a person with leprosy even stepped or leaned their head inside a space. Leprosy was terminal. It was the most feared of all diseases. I just can't imagine what it might be like to be in your home, going about your business, all of a sudden you wake up, you look at your arm, And your heart is terrified because of what you think it might be. 
that if you have this leprous condition, you can no longer hug your kids anymore. You can no longer hug your wife. You have to tell them bye. You only leave. If it's a gated, walled city, you live outside of the gate, outside of the walls. I don't know if you'll see them or not. You are completely kicked out of the community if you have this disease. They're removed, placed outside of the gates. Verse 13 says, And they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It's believed that leprosy would even affect the throat, the, the larynx, to a point where it would even just be a whisper. And so these lepers are there, and they're screaming. to the to, they're, they're lifting up their voices as loud as they possibly can. And they're saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us on us this is the only other place in scripture that we see somebody other than the disciples calling jesus master they understood that he was the great miracle worker word gets around that up to this point remember this is his final trip into jerusalem that no doubt word would have traveled of how that incredible night in capernaum when he healed the entire city or maybe how the wind and the waves obeyed his word because of the calming of the sea. Or maybe how he healed or cast this demon out of this demon-possessed man. A man who had absolutely zero hope, who had been rejected, who was an outcast, who made his life among catacombs, the Bible says. Jesus Christ radically rescued this man. Not only that, but word would probably have traveled that Christ would have raised a young girl from the dead, Jairus' daughter. And so word is traveling. And Christ is entering into the city. And these desperate, isolated, outcast people understand that the great miracle worker is here. And perhaps he would show mercy and do a miracle for them in their lives. And they are raising up their voices. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I don't know if any of you could relate. Maybe many of you could. But have you ever been so desperate that you don't even care who's around, but you literally scream for help? You lift your voice up for help because you know that this is the only way for these ten lepers to have a miraculous touch from Christ was their only hope, was their only way, and they are going for it. This is their only glimmer of hope. And I would say, I would scream too. Verse 14 says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, just even earlier, Christ has touched a leper, brought healing to his body. Christ could have touched him, could have with a word in that moment, just instantly it's done. But he is interesting. He, he tells them, he gives them instruction to go and show themselves to the priest. Now, maybe he's 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 allowing them to exercise faith and trust in him. Or perhaps Christ came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. He is a perfect he is the perfect obedience to the law on our behalf. So he's affirming law and even the role of priests in that time. But here's the thing. These guys, and we'll see in just a moment, as they make their way to the priests, these priests would have rejected Christ. They would have rejected his deity. They would have rejected his authority. And so in a moment, we'll see as these guys come to walk through that ceremony of cleansing, these priests would have been face to face with a divine, authoritative, miraculous healing of the only one, God, who could perhaps do that. He's the only one. He's the only one. 
this process, the priests would serve as local health officials. And so they would come and these ex-lepers would come and they would walk through this cleansing process, this ritualistic, full of sacrifice process for eight days. And Leviticus chapter 14, if you want to read the whole chapter, is about this ceremonial cleansing of leprosy and how that, how that process worked. But it says, next, it says, and they went, and as they went, they were cleansed. He says, he saw them and he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. This is major understatement right here. <laughs> They're turning, they're walking away, and in an instant, they no longer have leprosy. That in a moment, these ten are walking, and they begin to look at their skin, and they see their bodies healing. They see their maybe deformed bodies being restored to complete and full health. This was all the mark of Christ. This was all the mark of the divine God, who is the only one who could do this miracle. If you look at the miracles of Jesus, every single one of them, they're instant, they're complete, they are total. There's no, hey, here's some lotion, 7 to 14 days, you should clear up. And there's no giving a script and saying, hey, go to Walgreens in Jericho and pick you up something and, and it'll be all better. No, every miracle had a bigger purpose. It wasn't simply just to bring relief in that moment. It was to reveal and affirm who Christ was. Christ was God in the flesh. He's the only one. And can you imagine the tears? Can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine them processing? And all of a sudden, as they're, as they're kind of processing this, they're like, I get to see my wife. I get to see my kids. I get to go back inside the city gates. I haven't been in the city gates in years. I get to go back to my livelihood and I almost picture them like saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like even, even, I, I don't know if they were walking or running after Christ gave them that word, but the moment they began to turn and God cleansed them in that moment, I can only imagine they began to take off for a sprint to get to the priest. Cause as soon as they got to the priest, they could go through the eight day ceremonial cleansing and eventually get to get back to their families and to their livelihoods and everything else. And, and they all, I can imagine just made a run for it, except for one, except for one, you had all 10, no doubt, shock, joy, tears going wild. And, and nine are like, go, go, go. We got to go, go, go. But there was one who said, wait, hold on. There was one, there was one who understood, wait, hold on. I've been in the presence of God. I've been in the presence of God. And so he saw what God had done in his life. This is the first truth that we see to be a thankful people. And that is one is that we would be the one who sees. We would be the one who sees. We would be the one who sees. In verse 15 of Luke 17, the Bible says this, Then one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a louder voice. No doubt all of them wanted the blessing of God. All of them wanted to enjoy the good grace of God. Wanted to see an intervention of the great miracle worker. But here is the one who understands, whoa, hold on. This doesn't just happen. I mean, this I've just been healed, but there's 
there's only one who can do what we have just seen. He saw the work of God in his life. He saw, and the question that challenges us this morning is, do you see? Do we see that even in the darkest of circumstances, do we see what God has done? And I believe this Samaritan brother, he, he, he processed, and I can't imagine all the processing is, I'm healed in this moment that he, he begins to look beyond the blessing of being healed and to the, to the giver himself. Because there's only one who can do this. There's only one who can heal like this. This blessing that he was enjoying and changed his life pointed to the giver himself, which is the role of every miracle in the Bible, is not for the miracle itself, but is rather to affirm and point to the miracle giver and the miracle worker, who is Jesus. He's Jesus. His sight, his seeing what God had done, caused him to stop. And so the challenge and the encouragement is when maybe nobody else does, would you be the one who sees? And not only that, would you be the one who sees, but you'd be the one who takes time. The one who takes time. Verse 15 says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. He turned back. Everyone's on to the next thing, but this brother takes time and sees and to give thanks. I can't imagine the pressure the pressure, the urgency. You ever find yourselves in the, in the urgency of the moment? Like, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, 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 go. I can imagine these nine are like, we got to go to the priest. We got to get to the priest. We got to go to the next step and then the next step and the next step. In other words, they were already past what had happened. They're like, we got to move on to the next thing that gets us to the next thing that gets us to the next thing. But this brother was like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> he took time to turn and to give Thanks to God. We live in this go, 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 go. And do we stop and do we give praise? I heard a story about a guy. Uh, he had been waiting for this job interview for months upon months. Big job interview. And so he, he, he was getting ready, got in the car, left him plenty of time to get to uh, the, the, the place, the building there where he'd be having the interview. And so he jumped in the car and he, and he goes. And he, and he, and he, he goes and, and it, you know how you are when you're in a hurry to get somewhere really important. You hit every single red light that possibly exists, right? And so he keeps hitting every red light along the way. Hits another red light, hits another red light. He starts looking at his clock. He's like, all right, there's still time, but I'm going to make it. And so they're trying to get there, trying to get there. He gets to the parking lot. He whips into the parking lot. Whips into the parking lot only to see the parking lot is completely packed. And so what does he do? He's frantic. He is racing around this parking lot trying to find a spot. He is praying like crazy. Give me a parking spot, parking spot, parking spot. To which I would just pause one moment and just let's just all be honest. How many of you have paid, prayed for a parking spot in your life? Okay. Just me. Okay. <laughs> I see that. A couple of us. All right, you prayed, you prayed, you prayed. So this guy's like racing around trying to find that spot. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, a car pulls out and he pulls in. He's praying, he's praying, praying. Then he says this, he sees the spot. Here's what he says. Oh, never mind, God, find a spot. It's like you just, you just go, go, go into the point where it's just like it's not registering that really every single thing 
is a gift from God because we go and we go and we go. But he is the one who sees. He's the one who takes time. Stephen Covey says this. He says, the key is in not spending time, but in investing time. Is it to stop when there's so much to be done could be seen as a, as a, as a way of like not making the most of your time or wasting time. But rather, it's the complete opposite. It's investing in time. Being thankful to God and being intentional about thanking God is an investment in our Time Taking time to thank is an investment in your relationship with God. And it's a testimony to the world. It's a testimony to see who you place your hope in, who you place your trust in. We will never be thankful people if we don't see. We will never be thankful people if we don't take time to be thankful. And I know we know this. It's way more than a meal on a day on a part of the year. It is, a, it is a thanks living. This is what Paul did. Paul understood. Paul got it. Again, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so when we see by God's grace, we stop. Even when nobody else will. And we take the time and we praise Him. That we would be the one who sees it. We would be the one who takes time but a third truth is that we would be the one who gets loud with thanks. We'd be the one who gets loud with thanks. Look at the, the verse 15. It says this, it says, And then one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That for maybe the first time this brother could speak. That maybe for the first time in years he could speak loudly because his voice had been healed. He's unashamed. It didn't matter to him what the other nine were doing. This is a powerful truth, I believe. Because I believe if we're not guarded, we can be influenced by larger groups of people. And what happens is, I think in this moment, this Samaritan brother... He could care less what the nine people do. He could care less what the whole city was doing. What he was going to do is he saw what God had done and he was going to stop what he was doing and he was going to give praise and this brother was going to get on his face before the Lord and worship Christ. This is what he did. He worshiped Christ. I think we see a classic case of someone who truly discovered what a depth and despair that they were in and what Christ had done for them. I believe we can honestly see when we discover what we've been saved from and what Christ has done for us, it leads to a response. Just earlier in Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes into a Pharisee's home and the Bible says this in verse 44 through 47. He's having a conversation with Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. To which I would say, he who is saved from much 
worships much. That when you realize, and when we realize what Christ has done for us, and we understand the depravity of our sin, we understand the cost of our sin, we understand that our sin separates us from a holy God, the depth of our need for God, we understand what Christ has rescued us from, it leads to worship. It leads to worship. And of all people, this brother was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. The, the, the text teaches us that evidently these other nine were all Jewish believers. Remember, Jewish Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans. Only in the leper colonies. Only in the outcasts, the outskirts, the community of those who have been rejected. Jews hated Samaritans. I mentioned seen as less than people, less than human. This race of people came forth through a Jew marrying a Gentile. Jews, God-fearing Jews, would see Gentiles as godless people. And so to see this, this, this race, this culture of people were absolutely rejected. They were rejected. No God-honoring Jew would have anything to do with a Samaritan. But guess who would? God would. Guess who would? God would. I love that. Christ has a mission. He's coming to seek and save those who are lost. I love the little song growing up, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. That, that, that man kind of creates these kind of uh, categories of people. But listen, it doesn't matter race. It doesn't matter socioeconomic. doesn't rely on abilities. It's not about on what you could do for me. It is about Christ loving all people. And that he was on his way to Jerusalem to die on a cross for all people. That when Jews would go around Samaria, guess where he went? He went straight through Jamaria, Samaria. When other people would reject these lepers, Christ received these lepers. Where people were rejected, Christ received them. And while the other nine rushed to the temple, rushed to the temple to be declared clean by a priest, go through the ritual, the ceremony, the sacrifice for eight days so they could worship in the temple. Not only that, but as they worshiped the temple, this would be where God's manifest presence had long departed. But yet here is this Samaritan who is worshiping God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the true temple, the one that Colossians 2.9 says, and all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The Samaritan was rejected at the temple, but the Samaritan is welcomed into the presence of God. What a beautiful picture. This is God's heart for the world. Verse 17 says, and Jesus answered, where are, were, were not ten cleansed? So there were ten lepers, weren't they? They were rhetorical questions. Obviously, Jesus has perfect knowledge of everything. But he's having, a, he's having a dialogue with this leper. We're not ten cleansed? He said, well, where are the nine? It literally reads, but the nine, where are they? Where are they? Verse 18 says, when no one was found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And so it's emphasizing that he was the only one who was not Jewish. The Samaritan brother, listen to what Jesus says in verse 19. And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. 
Now, as we've been reading, we, we can read it and be like, well, I thought he was made well. I mean, this is what the Bible teaches, but here's the thing, the made you well part, this is a unique word that has not been used yet in this text. It's a different word than the word for cleansed. That was in verse 14. It's a different word than the word healed. That was in verse 15. This word means salvation. It's a unique word. It's a different word. This is the term of meaning that you're saved from your sins. This is the same word. We're getting ready to head into Christmas season. This is the same word that was used by the angel when he talked to Joseph. And he says this in Matthew 121. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is the same word as is used in this passage right here. That yes, they were healed from their sins disease but yet this Samaritan through his faith in Jesus alone was eternally healed the Samaritan was not just physically but eternally healed through his faith through belief and through trust in Christ and Christ alone this Samaritan understood somewhere along the way that, that listen if leprosy wasn't going to be the thing something else is going to come along that, that, that the sad part one of the sad of being a part of a broken world is that broken things are happening. They happen all around us. And, and the leprosy is going to pass. They were healed from the leprosy. But somewhere along the way, something else is going to pop up. Something else is going to come along. This Samaritan understood that it wasn't just the physical healing that he needed. He needed spiritual healing. He needed to be saved. And in this text, we all have a choice, just like these 10 lepers did, is that we can be content with the common grace that God has just poured out on all of us, right? The sun rose again today. The sun will come out in the evening. We have oxygen in our lungs. We're blessed. We have, we have food on the table. We're walking through dirt, difficult circumstances, so we pray God would do a work, and we, we do, we pray, and we seek that. And so the question is this, is, is do, you, do you rest content on the, the common graces of God, or do you really discover your greatest need? And that is a need for a relationship with Jesus. That's what this brother needed. He needed a relationship with Jesus. That Jesus is the giver of the blessing, not just the blessing itself. That he embraced Jesus not only as master, but master and savior. And on this day, we see a Samaritan leper who has been cleansed by faith, places faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And because of his faith was healed, not, not physically, that's already taken place, but he was healed spiritually. And so my question is, if you're in the room today, you're listening online, have you been spiritually healed? In other words, do you have a relationship with Jesus because He's the only way? He's the only way. God, help us to be thankful. Help us to be overwhelmed with our rescue. I realize, you know, different personalities. Some people are maybe kind of a little louder, some a little quieter, but, but I believe we can all live loud in thanksgiving to God and for all He's done for us. But as we wrap up, I want to make one more connection uh, from this story as a part of that larger story because the Bible is one story. 
Genesis to Revelation, it's one story. Genesis is a part of the bigger story. The gospel, gospel of Luke we're reading today, it's part of the bigger story. The letters of Paul, it's a part of a bigger story. Revelation, part of a bigger story. That in this passage specifically, we see the rescue of a leper by Christ. Mention it several times. Lepers were outcast. Lepers were removed from community. Lepers were separated from others. They were placed outside of the gate or outside of the community. We see in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, listen to the instruction of the Lord to Moses. It says this. It says, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp or outside of the gate everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp. And they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord said to Moses. So the people of Israel did. That this leprous condition could not occur in the presence of a holy God. His manifest presence. Those with leprosy were placed outside the camp, outside the gate. But I love Christ. Luke 5 and Luke 17. He reveals that he is the only one who can come face to face with leprosy. And with a touch or with a word, bring complete, instant and total cleansing. And Christ is the only one who is clean, who can touch an unclean and remain clean. He is God. Christ does what no one, no law, no man could do. And here's the bigger picture of Scripture is that when we see in Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible says this in verses 12 and 15. It says this. It says, and so Jesus also suffered where? Outside the gate. He came to us. He met us in our point of need. Though we may not have leprous skin, the Bible teaches that all people have leprous hearts. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have leprous hearts. And so we are living in isolation, separated from God because of our sin. But God did what no man could do. I love it. Verse 12, Hebrews 13. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him, then, let us continually, here it is, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. I love the grand picture of the Bible. Is that this is a rescue story. And that we, though may not be able to relate with someone who has been isolated, cast outside the camp, outside the gate, isolated, never to hug or, or, or be around our families or, or live, live in community with others. The fact is that because of our sin, our sin has separated us from a holy God. And so what did God do? God made a way. And He made a way and He went outside the gate. 
and he died on a cross and became a curse on a tree so that our sin could be forgiven and dealt with. He's the only one that can clean the unclean and remain clean. He's the only one. And the Bible says that he was the perfect sacrifice because it took a perfect sacrifice. Perfect, sinless life. On his way to Jerusalem, what did he do at Jerusalem? He was crucified on the cross for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world. They took his body off of the cross and they placed it in a tomb. And the Bible teaches us that he rose from the dead the third day. And the Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be cleansed. You will be eternally, spiritually healed of your leprous heart. He did for us what we can never do so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed, so that we could live in relationship with Him and in His presence forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever again. And this is why Paul, from a prison cell, can say, give thanks. Give thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for this encounter. I imagine these guys, and, and, and they're, they're, they're in this desperate place, seeking after the miracle worker, when all the while the miracle worker was pursuing them. He didn't go around Jerusalem. Jesus, King of the Jews, went straight through the heart. And that there was a divine encounter in this city that not only would change the lives of ten men temporarily, but would change the eternity of one. The one who stopped. The one who saw. The one who realized that he had been in the presence of God. Realized his sinfulness and his desperate need. And the Bible teaches us that his faith made him healed. His faith healed him. Not, not, not the physical healing, spiritual healing. So God, as those who have been rescued, I pray that we would see, I pray that we would take time, I pray that we would be loud. God, I also pray for those who have never began a relationship with you, that the reality is, is that our sin separates us from a holy God, that we have leprous hearts, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we were made for a relationship with you. And so, God, you did for us what we could never do. You went outside the gate for us. And, God, I pray that if there's someone here who needs to begin a relationship with you, today would be the day they acknowledge their need for you. They would have a change of mind and repent from their self and from their sin and turn to you, King Jesus, and by faith, place their faith and their trust in you and you alone for salvation. And it is by faith, by faith, through faith, that we are saved. God, I pray for the lost to come to Christ. And I pray, Father, as believers, that we would be a thankful people. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to
have a, a song of response, and, and I want to invite you to stand with me. And, and, and just so, and I know you all know this, but, but I, I do hope you know, our pastoral team, our staff, we're here to serve you any way we can, whether it's during this time to pray over you, pray for you, if, if, if it's even just following up after service, whatever that might be, we're here to minister and pray. But let's just open our hearts to how the Lord would want to move in our hearts through His Word this morning. And we pray God's honored.